0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and they make them know the statutes of God and his law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father in law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father in law depart and he went away to his own country.
1: Good morning, everybody. Let's pray together, shall we? Dear Father, thank you that uh, you are a speaking Lord. Help us to be a listening people. Help us to digest your word, Father, and to know its powerful impact in our lives. By the help of your Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, looking at this particular passage in uh, Exodus 18, uh, I see that it's a tent of meeting, and one of the interesting things as you delve into it, it uh, is to be seen as a tent of testimony as well. Uh, During my um, early years as a Christian, I was around about 19 or 20 years of age at the time, I was involved in um, Scripture Union Beach Mission. Uh, This was held at a place called Emu Point uh, out from Albany in Western Australia. We had about 30 or 40 uh, uh, young people that came together and uh, conducted the, the mission and it was a great time. We had this uh, idea of uh, bringing the kids along to this big tent that we directed. Some of the kids that had been there in previous holidays would come along and help us put in the stakes and put on the ropes and so forth like that. That was great. But then we'd have to get the kids in, particularly the newcomers, and so we had this great big dragon head, paper mache head, that one of the the workers would get in. And then there was this great big train of, of hessian out behind And a guy would go along the front playing his guitar and the leaders would actually go out and contact the kids and encourage them and talk to them to get under the the train of Hessian and then uh, to wiggle their way to the Big Tent. And in the Big Tent there was uh, games to be had, there were quizzes, uh, there was music, uh, there was um, crafts that were undertaken and there were testimonies by various leaders given We had a children's program in the morning and then we had uh, a coffee shop in the evening for the young people and for the adults. So there was lots of opportunity to actually uh, share our faith in that particular context. There were some amazing stories told uh, in the tent, but I don't think any of those stories came anywhere near the amazing story that took part or took place in this tent in Jethro's tent that we read about in Exodus 18. It was some tent meeting. It was not with a whole group of people. It was just between two. There was Moses and then there was his father-in-law, Jethro. Uh, A tent in in those days is very much or very similar to the kind of tent that you would find today. If you went along to Tent City or... uh, anaconda or BCF or some place like that, you would find a tent with a certain shape. Well, the tent that uh, Jethro had would have been of that kind of shape, but it would have been made differently, not made out of polythene or or canvas, but it was made out of um, thick cloth woven from goats and camels' hair. Uh, it was very, very carefully designed because... In the summertime, it breathed, and in the wintertime, it contracted and kept out the wind and the rain. And on the floor, uh, the floor mat will be made up of animal skins. So that's the tent of meeting where Jethro and Moses came together. It was a tent where the Lord became known and the Lord became highly regarded. That was God's concern. As we've been looking at the book of Exodus over past weeks and months, we've seen together that God was out to actually show his glory, to show his supremacy, to show his greatness, to be highly regarded by people. So the first thing we want to see this morning from this particular passage is that God's sovereign work of deliverance was that people might know him so that people might know him. Now, there's a bit of history uh, behind this coming together of Jethro and uh, Moses in the tent. It all began when one day Moses helped Jethro's seven daughters water their sheep. The result or the wash-up of all that was that uh, Moses ended up marrying one of the girls, Zipporah by name. The hookup was pretty simple, really. I mean, there was a well, there were buckets of water, there were thirsty sheep, and there were the damsels in distress. Uh, there was no um, farmer needs a wife, no first dates, no e harmony or anything like that. It was just uh, very simply, they were drawn together, helping one another out. And Zipporah became Moses' wife. Uh, the long and short of it all is they got married and then Moses ended working for her father-in-law for 40 years. They worked together as a shepherd. Can you imagine the conversations that would have gone on between Jethro and Moses out in the field, mining the sheep, uh, at night sometimes, sometimes during the daylight. And then when they retired and came back to the tent, uh, Jethro was a a Midian priest, Uh, Moses was a Jew. They would have had some interesting orthodox discussions about God and about religion, I think, uh, in their encounters and their involvements together. But then there came a time when uh, God commanded Moses to return to Egypt to deliver the enslaved Israelites Uh, And so Moses temporarily entrusted his wife and the two children to Jethro's care. And Then we've heard about the amazing and and miraculous deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Uh, And and Moses here that Jethro is coming. He's coming uh, and bringing his wife, Zipporah, and their sons, Gershom and Eliezer. They have their customary greetings and then they go into the tent. Then they retire to the tent. And what happens in that tent is that their conversation goes to a whole new level. Moses was now speaking not as a fellow shepherd, not as a national, but as a national leader and a first-hand witness of God's miraculous workings in Egypt. So what Moses shared would have been enough to make Jethro's hair stand up on the back of his neck. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done, it says in verse 8. Now, I can't imagine that being tame talk. I think Moses came with a full heart and must have been quite energised and excited by what he'd seen and observed and what he'd experienced. And this was a golden opportunity to relay all of that now to his father-in-law. Can you imagine the, the various inflections and intonations and gestures as he recounted the entire story of Exodus 4.27 to 17.16. That's a whole slab of happenings. Can you imagine him just sitting down on the uh, animal rugs passively? I think there would have been a bit of passion, a bit of emotion, certainly a lot of intent, and it would have taken him some time to share. To share about the Hebrews' oppression, of God's intervention, of Pharaoh's edicts, and then, you know, of God's bringing the plagues and Pharaoh's changeableness, and then the sizable pursuing Egyptian army and the defenselessness of the people trapped at the edge of the Red Sea. And then the miracle of the sea parting for salvation, and then the sea closing over for judgment. There were specifics. There were graphic details. There was amazingly factual happenings all to be relayed by Moses to his father-in-law because he was a first-hand witness, remember? He had actually seen these things in a first-hand way with his own eyes. But as he shares, he doesn't just share the good bits. He also shares the difficult bits because it says in verse 8, all the hardships that had come upon them too is what he shared. So difficulties were shared alongside of deliverances. Can you appreciate then that this tent talk was on a far deeper level than they'd ever talked before? I would have loved to have been a fly or mosquito on the wall. Wouldn't you? Listening into the conversation, looking at um, Jeff Rose, all his uh, reactions to what Moses was sharing. But the notable thing that stands out in all that Moses shared with Jethro was that he was emphasising what God did. He wanted Jethro to see the glory of God. That's always a great component in regard to evangelism. If we're ever seeking to share our faith with anybody, then we talk about not about us, but we talk about God and what God has done for us and in us a timely reminder here to highlight that, to speak about the wonderful works of God. Well, that's what Moses was doing. He spoke about the wonderful works of God in salvation, in rescue, in deliverance to his oppressed enslaved people. And then if you read into the New Testament, you find uh, here's Peter and he's got a Moses-like testimony too, uh, that he shares with people what God has done you remember the uh, Acts 2 verses 22 to 24 passage? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There's Peter, he's talking about Jesus being delivered up that we might be delivered. There was Moses in the tent talking to Jethro about the deliverance of God that he might be delivered. I mean, we've, we need deliverance, don't we? We have, uh, we have things in our lives and, and things in our lifetime which are not helpful and not good and we're against God. We need to be delivered from our own bondages to false worship and to messy past and from God's rightful judgment of death. We need to be delivered from living for ourselves and living according to the woolly wisdoms of the world and the conspiracies of the world. There are so many things in life that can grip us and take us away from God. God needs to come and do something in us so that we're freshly gripped, not by other things, but we're gripped by him. The question is, has God delivered you? Have you had your own exodus? Have you had a, an experience where God is, uh, yeah, an encounter with God where he's taking you out and taking you away from some things and introduce you to other things? See, there are two aspects to the matter of deliverance. There's a from and there's a to. The from includes being delivered from the devil's control and dictations, from our own sinful nature, from our haunting, shameful past, from our continued conformity to the world and from the fear of death. In that, we've got a testimony. But There's another side to our testimony too. And that's what we've been delivered to. We are freed or we are delivered to having now a hatred of sin, a delight in God, a hope in his promises, of having a gratitude for his mercy and a desire for holiness and a keenness to show God's love. So when we come to, Mo- when we come to God, we are like Moses. We have a testament to share. We have great things to share. Our testimony mightn't be be as vivid or as dramatic as Moses was, but we have a testament to share because we've been delivered. We've been freed. So here's Moses sharing a blow-by-blow account of God's working and his emphasis is upon what God has done. I'm not sure whether you've ever watched on YouTube uh, the American Gospel doco, but if you haven't, look it up. The American Gospel, there's part one and there's part two now. And uh, they emphasise the Gospel very strongly in the docos and show of how there's been a detraction and uh, a steering away from uh, upholding the Gospel, particularly in American churches, but not just in American churches, in Australian churches too. I was taken uh, with the emphasis when I looked at this um, doco This uh, emphasis on God's working as against our workings. At one point, uh, Dr. Michael Horton, a um, professor at the Westminster Seminary in California, stated simply that the gospel is not what we need to do or what Jesus needs to do, but what Jesus has done. He said, The law is on about what we need to do. But the gospel is on about what has been done by God. The done precedes the do. That will be seen as we get into Exodus 20, as we see all the things we need to do in the Ten Commandments. But you can only look at the Ten Commandments as you see what God's done. He's done in the Exodus. So the done precedes the do. Same thing Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God works on us and works in us and changes us and delivers us before we get stuck into doing good works. So here's Moses and he's emphasising what God has done. That's why there's a call to remembrance in the book of Exodus. Exodus. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 3, it says, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. So there's Jeffrey. He's listening to Moses. He's hearing everything that God has done. And something happens. Something happens. Suddenly, he's delighted in what Moses has shared with him. But he's delighted not about the stories so much as he's delighted in the Lord, which Moses featured. In verse 9, we're told of a God moment. We're told of a discovery. We're told of a realisation. We're told of a dawning. We're told of this man who comes to see God for who he really is that it truly is supreme. But suddenly the, the goodness and the graciousness and the power of God began to descend upon Jethro as he listened. And in verse 9 it says, he rejoiced, he delighted. I mean, it led him In verse 10 it says, it led him to bless, blessed be the Lord. He blesses the Lord. Now the reason why we can say something happened is because the Hebrew word delighted in verse 9 is quite unusual. Philip Ryken says, the Hebrew word says this, it conveys an overwhelming sense of joy, the kind of happiness that penetrates to a person's soul. Jephro did more than believe the good news about God. He celebrated it and rejoiced in it. So what we see in Jephro is the emergence of holy affections. Uh, John Piper has done a lot of reading and research into the ministry of Jonathan Edwards, who was greatly used in in North America in uh, times of revival. And John Piper says, one of the things that uh, Jonathan Edwards always looked for in his preaching was to stir up the, the holy affections of people. That under the sound of the preaching of the word, that the Lord speaks to us, he does something in us. We don't just digest the word, we actually feel the word. We are moved by the word. And that's what happened in this tent. That's why it wasn't just a tent of meeting, it was a tent of testimony. It was a tent that uh, saw a a change of life, a change of appreciation, a, a new attestation of who God was and affirming that he was the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Helen and I had the privilege of uh, training under an Anglican minister um, in Bible college. He was our principal for a number of years. Geoffrey Bingham was his name. He was a soldier, a prisoner of war, a farmer, a CMS missionary, theologian, writer, teacher and a family man. And he wrote this book. Uh, Jeff was very big on the cross of Christ and he wrote this book called Christ's Cross Over Man's Abyss. And in the preface to the book, in the foreword, he spoke about the influences of three men in helping him to understand the imperativeness of the cross. Under God, the writings of James Denny, Peter Forsyth, and T.C. Hammond affected Jeff deeply he said uh, it helped him catch stunning and terrifying glimpses of God's holy love. And he said that the rich dimensions of God's love and power, along with the effectivity of the cross, produced, he said, in me sheer delights. And then he went on to say, and the Lord has given me other glimpses of the cross, other glimpses of the glory of God in uh, his son's death, and it's produced in me more sheer delight. May you and I be permitted to see more and more of God's nature through the cross of Christ, and may it make us increasingly glad and grateful and joyful. May it fill us with delight and wonder at God's working. That's what the Christian church needs here in Australia. That's what the Christian church needs around the world. It needs uh, hearing the gospel of Christ. It needs consistent, gospel centered, cross focused preaching, teaching, and counseling. It needs that because that's what triggers warmth and relationship and fellowship, and joy, and effervescence, and passion amongst God's people. We are not meant to be motionless, unmoving people, are we? We're meant to be moved by the power and truth of the Word. That's what happened to Jethro. Jethro gained a new appreciation of God, new affection for God, and then affirmed God in a new way. I think when Moses started out talking to Jethro, I reckon he had in mind that Jethro needed needed some change. He needed to know God. So it was an intentional, meaningful conversation on the part of Moses. And then when Moses hears Jethro's delight in verse 9, What a joy it must have been to Moses himself that a member of his family is coming to a new experience of God, a new understanding of God. Often relatives and family members are the hardest people to speak with about God. I know that's true of me with my two brothers and two sisters. My sisters particularly, I know what a bad brother I was. And have many stories to tell. I please don't meet them. They can readily talk about my messy past, and are quite unforgiving. All that I can say to them is, I'm just so pleased that God has totally forgiven. But never stop praying. Here's an encouragement. Never stop praying for those members of our family that are hard to reach. Take heart, take encouragement from this encounter between Moses and Jethro, between the father-in-law and the son-in-law. You never know when God's going to grant you a moment, Jethro moment. Just this week, one of our gospel community members rejoiced because her dad living overseas has come to believe in Christ. He was rejoicing in the group. There was rejoicing in heaven too because the, the Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 90 and nine who need no repentance. Can you appreciate that Moses would have been overjoyed at what he heard from his father-in-law? And Jephro says in verse 11, Now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods, For he did this to those who had treated them arrogantly. Jethro had been wondering what Yahweh was like, who he really was. And what convinced Jethro, as Moses shared, was the degree and the depth of God's rescue. He knew about the dominating influence of Pharaoh, And the reputation of the Egyptians, he knew that Pharaoh was a heavy-handed leader and it was nigh impossible to escape his clutches. And so in verse 10, we see this impact. Blessed be the Lord, says Jethro, who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians, out of the hands of Pharaoh, under the hand of the Egyptians. What impacted Jethro was that there was somebody mightier than Pharaoh, that the Lord had done something which a lot thought never possible. Douglas Stewart in his New American Commentary says, the defeat of a superpower and its gods, including the great Pharaoh of Egypt, was simply too great an inexplicable a victory other than the involvement of a powerful supernatural being, the God Yahweh, who had told Moses in advance that he would do just that. So here's this meeting between two men in a tent. But it's not just the two men meeting. It's God meeting with Moses. It's Jethro meeting with God. God was present. And Jethro emerges in awe of the absolute supremacy of God. And here is God's uh, wonderful, effective, elective plans being worked out. But he didn't just rescue a whole mass of people out of Egypt, but that rescue was a view to coming and rescuing this one individual in the tent and changing his life. The glory of God's working is marvellous. And then God's rescuing action in Jethro's life resulted in fresh doings. It became the platform for fresh activity and action. Look at verse 12. He comes and he brings burnt offering and sacrifices to God. That's what God does. He's working in us, elicits a response from the heart and offering to be involved in volunteering, involving in service, involving in worship. We want to get to worship. We want to worship the Lord who's changed us. And so here he is. He's giving thanks to God by making sacrifices. It's the goal of all ministry, the glory and worship of God. It also says, though, in verse 12, and um, the second part of verse 12, that uh, not, only, uh, was, uh, not only was Jethro involved in fresh activity, but along comes Aaron, I should say, with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with him, that is, to meet with Jethro. So his newfound faith positioned him now as part of the community of God's people where he was now welcomed and valued. And others wanted to gather with him and wanted to join with him in fellowship and, and praise and remembrance. And so here's Aaron and the elders that turn up and uh, they're gathering together and they show the importance of God's people coming together. And I know this COVID, um, these COVID shutdowns that we've experienced, particularly here in Melbourne, uh, have had a, um, a very isolating effect. When we've had to go to digital services, you sit there in your pajamas or your camouflage over your pajamas and you just watch the service individually. Then, did you try singing? I tried, didn't work. But there we were in solitary worshippers. But God hasn't made it so that he wants his people to come together. And Aaron and the elders and Jethro, uh, there's a coming together. There's a lifting up of their voices in praise to God. There's a, a connecting together. There's an interacting together. There's the dynamic of actually lifting up voices jointly to God in praise and adoration and appreciation. That's what we need, isn't it? So therefore, we need to be those that are keeping on being enlightened by the Word and through the Spirit. We need to be those who are uh, being enkindled by the Gospel so we love the privileges of fellowship, that we love to come to worship. Just sad that we have to book in, isn't it? Just sad that we couldn't have 180 people here today, not just 75. So here's the wonderful story of the tent of testament, the tent of, of meeting that became the tent of testimony. Now these first 13 verses of uh, chapter 18 are not separate from what follows. The verses follow provide the verses here provide a background or a launching pad for what takes place in verses 13 to 27. So the second thing I want us to see together today is that new discoveries of who God is results in new outlooks and care of others. From verse 13, we see the outworkings of Jethro's conversion. The very next day, the very next day, we see Jethro's newfound knowledge of God being expressed in wise, perceptive, caring counsel. The shepherd and priest boldly, addresses now the whole Israeli judicial system. He's discovered the goodness of God in rescuing his people and then providing for them with water and manna from heaven. And Jethro now has this desire to do good because God's done good. The question arises though that how Jethro gets the gig of addressing Moses when he was formerly on the fringe of God's people? How come a midnight uh, priest, a former enemy, a, a person used to serving Midian gods, was giving advice and giving counsel to a true blue Jew like Moses? Well, Don Carson says, The question answers itself. God may use the means of common grace to instruct and enrich his people. The sovereign goodness and provision of God are displayed as much in bringing Jethro on the scene at this propitious moment as in the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. Oh, yes, there's a clear evidence of God's common grace at work, but I think it was overarched by the saving, rescuing, delivering grace of God in his plan for the nations. God planned any purpose for people of other nations to come to faith. And here's what we see in Jethro. It's what you read about in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, where God said to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the nations. And here's Jethro, Midianite, being blessed by God becoming a man of faith and joy and praise amongst God's people. I mean, you get that picture of this when you uh, and a pretty fresh appreciation of this when you turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 15 and verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Jethro was one of those outside the people of God. He became part of the people of God. So what's evidenced in Jethro now is a changed life. He's got a new, clear, caring attitude. He has a deep and loving concern for the well-being of his son-in-law who's now the chief judge of Israel's Supreme Court, who is now head of the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of government among the Israelites. And Jethro observes him at work in his job and in his position and sees that he's sitting from morning to evening on the cases that came before him, that he's trying to arbitrate every dispute amongst the children of Israel, and with fresh uh, objectivity and clarity, uh, Jethro has a solution that comes to mind to how he can actually relieve Moses from his burdensome task. I don't think it was just Jethro's thinking. I think it was a, a God-planted idea that he had. There was no problem with Moses being judge, for to be a political or military leader also meant you were also a judicial leader. The problem was it, with Moses, he was the only judge without any help in minor and major cases. The big reason wasn't uh, his ego. The reason why he uh, was struggling too was because uh, he was functioning as a prophet, as is mentioned in verse 16. He had to dispense legal judgments as well as God's revelations. The result was he was weighed down by caseloads. The uh, Israeli court, as it were, was clogged and bogged down by a lack of a backlog of complaints and issues. Moses was surrounded by unfinished business, a bit like the courts today that are something like four or five years behind in tending to a lot of cases. It bears out the 19th century British politician William Gladstone's word, justice delayed is justice denied. Now, Jephro saw this and uh, it disturbed him and he was concerned for Moses in it all that person after person after person was coming with their problems. I mean, it was the legacy of newfound freedom. The people had been in Egypt, they had very few rights under the Egyptians and now they're out of Egypt and now they've got residual problems and difficulties and unmet and uh, unattended issues in relationship and so forth and they all bring them to Moses. So he's just flooded. And then it's not not a a flood of varying different issues, but it's a flood of people because there were hundreds and hundreds of people. So he's just weighed down. And in it all, he's trying to be a conscientious, effective prophet. The result was people were out of sorts. He was out of sorts. Jethro sees that. He sees that Moses was trying to be all things to all men. He sees the vulnerability of Moses. He sees it, well, it didn't probably didn't have burnout in those days, but that's where Moses was. He was on the verge of burnout. He's like an executive who has been, has to be in, in and at every company meeting, informed about every happening, and never takes time off. It's like a Christian minister who thinks he's indispensable and the whole future growth of the church is depend upon him. It's like a company employee who operates without boundaries and has little separation between work and home, so spending exorbitant amounts of hours at work, even after everybody else has gone home. Jeffrey sees what's going on with Moses. He was doing too much. He sees that there needs to be a wholesale administrative overhaul. He needs to farm out his responsibilities. Division of labor needs to take place. There needs to be a dispensing of uh, various tasks and allowing and an empowering of people for the work of ministry. So it's about delegation and, and de- deployment that Moses uh, needs to undertake. Jeffrey sees that. D. Or Moody said it's better to have 10 men do the work than to have one man do the work of ten men. I mean, can you imagine the advantages of just sharing the load around? People would have been less frustrated. Moses would have been less frustrated and certainly uh, not run so ragged. The benefits are beyond calculation. But this this tallies with the New Testament emphasis in regard to pastoral, pastoral ministry. I mean, uh, there were gifts of evangelists and prophets and teachers and pastors, Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. And it says their task is to equip others for the work of service. That is, their task is to train others up, pray for others and train them up and give others opportunity in service. It's the pathway for maturity to be experienced in the Christian church. So one-man professional ministry is not the way to go. The priesthood of all believers is the way to go, where everybody's involved in service. And Luke's given us a good encouragement that way, to be involved in service uh, in the uh, announcements earlier on. But too often leaders, I should say some leaders, think that all, their own sense of identity and self-worth is all wrapped up in ministry and so they don't want to let go. They don't want to farm things out. We need to look after Coy. We need to look after Luke. We need to ensure that we bear their burden. We don't just look for empowerment or look for, to use our gifts for ourselves, but we look to be involved for their sake and for the sake of the glory of God. So, Jethro perceived some great things in regard to Moses and offered some powerful, and wonderful and helpful suggestions. And I love the way he didn't presume. He didn't presume to sort Moses out and to sort out the whole judicial system. He says in, in, uh, in the passage, he says that, that Moses needs to know the direction of the Lord. So his discovery of of the Lord, of the supremacy of the Lord, comes through now in his, in the way that in, and in the manner in which he's approaching Moses and the problem that Moses needs to ask for the Lord's or for Yahweh's directing. It's a just a fresh appreciation on the part of Jethro as he acts in humble submission to the Lord the great thing the great thing about this passage the marvelous thing is Moses takes Jethro's counsel on board and puts the entire plan into operation and then don't miss the last bit of this particular chapter verse 27 once the judicial system was overhauled Jethro went home i think it just suggests a warm happy parting Jethro had come to know and appreciate the Lord and now he was God's man and now he could go about uh, his work in Midian and have some Midian moments that were given to him by God. So here, a tent of meeting became a tent of testimony where God's supreme work of deliverance was shared. It was so people might uh, know the Lord and Jethro came to know the Lord. He came to know the Lord in a new and joyous way which resulted in a new ministry of care and concern for others. The clear thing is that Moses had a story, a story to tell, a story of God's acts, God's action, a story which he longed to share. And I think in that he shows everyone is an evangelist for the things that they love. We love um, to extol the virtues of our favourite sports team, Port Adelaide. Or our favourite movie, Shawshank Redemption. Or our favourite games, Coy. And when we talk about the virtues, there's an infectiousness to that. We affect others in a good way. This is also true of God. The better we know God and the more joy we find in him, the more effective we will be in making Christ known. The keener will be in evangelism. It will cease being an awkward exercise or an imposed conversation on somebody and instead be the sharing out of a full heart. The overflow of a full heart. That's the way Moses shared with Jezreel. And we want to speak enthusiastically of the one we regard to be above all, the God of rescue, the God of salvation, the God of deliverance. So can I encourage you, keep keep looking to God, keeping in awe of the greatness of God and keep on making him known. And may God give you some tents of meeting, a coffee shop, a restaurant dinner, a forest hike, a fishing trip, an over-the-back fence yarn, an around-the-fire conversation, a cursory chat at the doctor's waiting room, a catch-up at the child care centre, or sitting next to somebody on the train, or being stuck next to somebody at a wedding breakfast. Pray that your tent moments might be not just tent meetings, but become tents of testimony for the glory of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a living word. Thank you that it's a powerful word. Thank you that it's a penetrating word. Thank you that the way... The word that Moses brought in the tent penetrated Jeffrey's heart. Cause, Father, him to be a man of joy and delight. Father, keep working in our hearts so that, Father, we find joy and delight in knowing you. And that we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to make Jesus known because of what you have done for us And in us. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.